ahead and gather up here together. Let's go ahead and gather up here together. Make our way to our seats. Let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah 55. We're going to resume our study through Isaiah 40 through 66. Isaiah 56 is found on page 616 of the Pew Bible. If you don't have the Pew, if you don't own a modern translation of the scriptures, please grab one of those Pew Bibles and um, make that yours. Also, um, sometimes we bring our own Bibles, but it's like, man, where do I find that? And that's why we say the page number. So if you're ever like, ah, I think I'll just grab the Pew Bible and flip uh, the page number, that's fine too. Isaiah 56. We're going to pick up our study in Isaiah 56. It's just 12 verses. Just 12 verses. But, man, is it rich in um, use in the New Testament. There are several times in the New Testament when this passage is used. Let's take a moment. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Isaiah. So let's take a moment to sort of reorient ourselves where we are in the context of Isaiah so that we can better understand what's going on in Isaiah 56. This is about 750 years before Christ. Okay? The nation of Israel has split into two, and you've got the southern kingdom, Judah, and the northern kingdom, Israel. They sort of retained the name, and that's why it can be a little bit confusing. The southern kingdom, Judah, that has had its ups and downs. The northern kingdom has basically only had downs. <laughs> and they're going to be judged in short order. In fact, in the middle of Isaiah, they're already being judged. But the southern kingdom is right now, as this book is being written, in one of those high spots. They've got a really good king right now. His name is, anybody remember his name? There were a few good kings that Isaiah served under. But does anybody remember what king this was probably written in? Anybody? Starts with an H. Hezekiah. Good, good. Hezekiah. Is he the only one that starts with an H? I think so. So that was a good hint. Um, Hezekiah. He's a good king. He had his moments. He was a fallen man. But on the whole, very good man. Very good man. And, and Judah goes through something of a renaissance while he's king. There is another nation far away that looks like trouble. It's the nation of Assyria. And God tells Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah, don't worry about them. They're not going to bother you. There's another nation, even farther away, that's a startup nation. Nobody's ever heard of them. They represent no threat whatsoever. And it's the nation of Babylon. And God tells Hezekiah, through Isaiah, that's the one you need to be worried about. In future generations, your people are going to get so bad, I'm going to have to judge them. And I'm going to do it through the hands of Babylon. And how accurate was the Lord's prediction of that? Extremely. <laughs> Maybe perfectly would be the best way to say it. Well, that hasn't happened yet. That judgment hasn't happened yet. God is 
preparing them for that judgment. Does everybody understand? Everybody picking up so far what's going on? To prepare them for what's going to come to them, God begins to talk to them about their salvation. Look at Isaiah 53. He says, you shouldn't worry about your sins because I have laid your sins on my servant. You remember that verse 3 of Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So God says, listen, there's a coming Redeemer, my servant, who's going to bear your sins, your sins, the chastisement, the punishment that your sins deserve, I'm going to lay on him. And whereas we look backward in time to Christ, more than 2,000 years, they looked forward to Christ more than 700 years. Same faith, just looking different directions. And then in Isaiah 54, God says, now listen, because I've sent you this servant, because I'm going to send him to you, I want you to prepare for blessing. Yes, I know Babylon is coming. And yes, I know that I told you judgment is on the way. But I don't want that to hold you back. I want you to build into your life and plan for the blessing of God. Look at verse 2 of 54. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Now is this the health and wealth gospel? Well, hardly. Is this saying God is guaranteed to make you rich and wealthy? No, hardly. What he's saying is, on an individual level, on a national level, I've already made you promises, Judah. And I want you to take those promises to heart and expect me to keep my word. And as New Covenant Christians, God wants us to prepare personally, not for disaster, but for his blessing. Now, that doesn't mean health and wealth. Jesus says... In this world, you will face tribulations. But there's a way to plan your future from a prospect of here and a way to plan your future from the future from the prospect of this. And God wants you to factor in this. So there's a zillion applications to that, but let me just make one. It doesn't matter how much you have. Nobody here thinks they have enough for retirement. Right? Nobody here thinks that. We all think there could befall some disaster. What would this do? What would that do? Did you know what the wisest man who ever lived once said? I once was young and now I'm old, and I have never, not once, seen the righteous begging for bread. So don't eat the bread of anxious food. Plan that the Lord is going to care for you. Now that doesn't mean act sinfully, that doesn't mean throw it all away. You need to plan carefully, but there's a way to plan to serve the Lord with your future years, anxiety-free, resting on the promises of God. 
and there's a way to integrate events to spoil. There is a balance there, of course. But that's what God is saying in Isaiah 54. Everybody tracking this here? Your future is secure because the servant has taken care of the biggest problem that you have between me and God. That's 53. 54, plan on your future being secure because my servant has already taken care of your biggest need, which was your sin problem. Now, who gets it? Who gets this sort of blessing? Who can come to me and know that the biggest problem, their sin, between me and you is taken care of? Who can know that we have a relationship, that, that we're good together? That's Isaiah 55. Come, come everyone who thirsts. This is verse 1. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligent to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear to me, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. God says that the people who have their sins covered, that the people who can look to the future with a smiling confidence in God's faithfulness, these are people to incline their ear to the word of God and listen to it. They incline their ear, they listen, they, they eat. They eat freely. They partake of what God has for them. They delight themselves in rich food. And what does this, what do these words mean for them? Go down to verse 10. It's like the rain and the snow that come down from heaven and do not return from there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God's word will come down and saturate your soul, and you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's like this. You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, the mountains and the hills before you in singing. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Do you remember what we said about the myrtle? The myrtle, yes, the myrtle, the berries of the myrtle tree. I, I heard somebody say, does anybody know what medicine we get from the myrtle tree, even today? I took a few yesterday. Ibuprofen. It's an NS, NSAID, is that what it is? An anti-inflammatory, it's a medicine. So God says this, he says, listen, when you incline your ear to me, that word will be like rain falling into your soul, watering the hard, packed dirt of your heart, and it will be like medicine to your soul. It will feed you. It will heal you. Now, we come to 56. There's a further question that Isaiah is going to answer. This is going to require just a little bit of explanation but I think you'll see it after I explain it. This passage in Isaiah 56 shows two types of people who listen to some of God's word, but don't understand it. They need to listen to all of God's word. 
Let's see who those two types of people are. First, let's go down to verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Okay? A foreigner, according to the Old Testament, was not allowed to serve as a priest. The foreigner was not allowed into the temple grounds. The foreigner, a person not Jewish by birth, understands from the Bible that there is some separation between them and God. In other words, they have listened to the Bible and have said to themselves, oh no, I'm out. That same phenomenon happens with a person called a eunuch. Let's read who they are. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord, the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths and who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. What's a eunuch? Well, some people may not know this, but uh, back in ancient times, there, well, maybe not so ancient, it happens still in modern days, but there are kings, wealthy men, aristocrats who have harems, many, many wives. And they are men who have many wives, unfortunately, tend to be very jealous and protective of their wives. Um, very hypocritical, but that's how they are. They want people to manage their harems and their official aristocratic court business. And so there are people who, sometimes it was by choice. Most of the time, it was not by choice. Infants would be castrated. Male infants would be castrated at birth. Men could also choose to be castrated as adults. And therefore, they would not be able to be intimate or fool around with a harem. And so these aristocrats would put eunuchs, whether chosen on purpose or chosen before they knew their right from their left, they would be in charge of these people's households. And they could put a eunuch in charge of their household without fear that the eunuch is going to fool around with his hand. Okay. It is as unsavory as it seems. People who were also, you could be considered a eunuch if you lost, if, if a young man lost his ability to um, uh, uh, procreate it at, at birth, there was some accident, and his uh, he was disfigured in some way and could no longer have children. So there was an accidental way of life. Either way. In the Old Testament law, men in this state were prohibited from being priests. They were not allowed to be priests. And so a eunuch could read that and say to himself, I'm out. How can I ever be close to God? So these are two types of people who, in reading God's word, don't feel like they can plan for the blessing of God, can they? They feel like they're out when they should feel like they're in. There's another category of people. Let's go down to verse 9. 
all you beasts of the field. Come to devour all you beasts of the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let us get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond all measure. This is a teacher in Judah, a watchman, a shepherd, a person who's supposed to teach and deliver the word of God. And what are they? They're lazy drunks. They're not working. They're taking the tithes of the people and enriching themselves, and in fact, getting themselves drunk off of the hard work and tithes of God's people. And they have the audacity to say, come, let's keep doing this, and we're going to have an even bigger party tomorrow, as though God isn't watching. These are people who are living large, living high on the hog, collecting all sorts of gain. And their past has told them that they can expect that to continue. They, because of their birth, because of who they are, because of their dad, they expect God's blessing. But should they? They have a little bit of Bible. God says he will bless his name. God says he will bless his people. God says, as the rain comes down and waters the earth, so shall my word be. Can't they cling to that? So here's two types of people. One person that has read a little bit of Bible and expects to be out, but they should feel in. And another person who's read a little bit of Bible and expects to be on the ends with God, but should not expect it, should take no comfort in it. Okay? Let me give a couple examples of what I'm talking about. I'm going to give two. I, what I'm going to do is seam together some stories, every component of what I'm about to say I have seen personally but none of them all together, if that makes sense. Um, so these are fake stories with real details. How's that? Kind of all mixed up. Let's start with the person who maybe believes they should be out. Let's say there's a person. This person was, uh, in his earlier years, was a drug dealer. Honestly, good drug dealer. Took advantage of people hurt people, made a lot of money. Of the women who needed his drugs but couldn't afford them, he took incredible advantage. Because of his avarice, he contracted multiple STDs. And eventually, the police in his area, they knew who he was the whole time, eventually. They caught up with him. They busted him. 
and he went off to jail, got a lenient sentence, and there in jail, heard the gospel, asked Jesus to save him from his sins, was gloriously redeemed, and ended up in a local church where he was growing like a weed. He fell in love with a young lady in his church, good, kind, Christian young lady. And when he sat down to talk with the father, the father, with tears, said, I love you, you're my brother in Christ, but given what you will almost certainly give my daughter in marriage, I cannot allow this man. The young man took that, he didn't fight it, went to his pastor and wept. How can I ever get married? And the pastor said, well, whether you do or whether you don't, God's grace will be sufficient every day. And God will give you freedom and liberty, and God might just give you more ministry than you can possibly imagine. This man could say, I'm a eunuch. My sin caused me all sorts of problems. Can he expect, can he plan for the blessing of God? As dogmatically as I can possibly say it, yes. Maybe he'll get married eventually, maybe he won't. But he can plan for the blessing of God. Because he's come to God and he's asked God for forgiveness and he's, he loves God's word and God's word is healing in his soul. Let's take another man that we'll illustrate here. This is a pastor. He started a church, and the church started growing very quickly. Before long, the church became something of a national phenomenon for its size. This pastor began to be interviewed. His children followed him into the ministry. All things looked like this pastor was just the guy. The pastor hired a financial manager who came in and just did his job. And the financial manager started doing some doing his job and found maybe not illegalities, but let's call them excessive immoralities and proper handling of finances sat down with the pastor and told, showed the pastor what he found and said, look, I don't want to, I'm not turning this over to the authorities, but there needs to be some repentance and some of this needs to be reported at least to the church and this is improper. And the pastor fired him. He spread rumors that he was disloyal, mean. And the pastor managed to keep that all swept under the rug and never apologized, never changed and now is covering his tracks a little bit. He expects the blessings that are coming to him to continue. Should he? No, he should not. Do not confuse the mercy of God for the justice of God. 
God might be being very merciful to him. He might say, well, God's using me for good. Brother, if you are a brother, God spoke through the mouth of a donkey. Okay? Lower yourself. <laughs> he can speak through a crook. He can use whoever he wants. You see what I'm talking about now. You see what I'm talking about. Two people, two types of people, whose pasts are very different, whose circumstances are very different. One has just enough Bible in mind to feel discouraged, but shouldn't. And one has just enough Bible in mind to feel encouraged, but shouldn't. And that's what this passage is talking about. God has some words for both. Okay? To the first category, to the, to the foreigner and to the eunuch, I want you to see what he tells them. He says, let not the foreigner, verse 3, who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate from his people, separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What's the great worry of a eunuch? I'm not going to be able to have kids. And God says, don't worry, your name's not going to die with you. I'm going to write it on the walls of my heavenly temple. To the foreigner, he says, I'm going to give you access, eternal access. You keep coming to me, and I'm going to keep blessing. Now, why does God say right here, he says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose to hold fast my covenant. Back up at the beginning, he says, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come. Is God saying you have to keep my Sabbaths and be righteous in order to receive those blessings? No, I don't think so. And the reason for that is, the very, of all the commands God could have chosen to highlight, he chose Sabbath-keeping. Well, what is Sabbath-keeping? It's saying to God, I don't need to work an extra day. I don't need to work seven days to provide for myself. Because I believe that you will provide seven for me with me doing six. I believe that you will provide for me and I don't have to give that extra day to work and toil. That I can give that day to you and to rest and to what you had. I, I don't have to cheat to get ahead keeping justice, doing righteousness. I don't, I don't have to abuse other people to make my money. In other words, these are, these are obediences that demonstrate a heart that's already relying on God. Does that make sense? By keeping the Sabbath, by doing justly, this is a person who already is convinced that God sees, is already convinced that God cares and takes notice and will provide. This is a person who's already resting and trusting in God. Obedience doesn't spring... This sort of obedience doesn't cause God's blessing. It's obedience as a result of God's blessing and is indicative of a person whose heart has already changed. 
it's indicative of a person whose heart is already kind of like maybe your parents. You've been for years and years trying to teach your kids, trying to teach your kids, trying to teach your kids, and then suddenly come home and they, they did something that you didn't ask them to do immediately. They just, they knew in general that this is what you would want, or better yet, they had sized up that it was the right thing to do and they did it. In other words, their action was an indication that their heart is with you and that their heart is with God. And when you see that, what do you want to do? You want to praise them. You want to bless them. Now, did their act earn your praise and blessing? No, no, no. It was the demonstration of a changed character that got that welled up your desire to bless them. Does that make, does that make sense, everybody? So God is saying, listen, to those of you who've had a checkered past, to those of you who have issues that you can't possibly help, you were born a Canaanite, if you look to me, if you incline your ear to me, if you put your trust in me, such that it results in your obedience to my word, I'm going to get, make you a monument. You will never be without access to me. You, you will be mine forevermore. Now, what does he say to the people who are the other way. Well, let's go to verse 9. He calls them beasts. He calls them blind. He calls them dogs. He calls them ignorant. He says that they have turned to their own way, each to his own gain. He says they have Departed, and now they're going to be off on their own outside of my blessing. They will no longer have the protection of my grace, even though they think they already have it. Now, do you remember at the very beginning, I told you that this is a passage rich in New Testament reference? Let's go to a couple of them. Well, first of all, Let's do this one. Jesus, remember, he went to the temple, and there were these blind guides. There were these men in there who were dogs selling, turning God's house into a house of profit, and Jesus made a whip and he drove them out. What did he say? He said, my house shall be a house of praise. My house shall be a house for prayer, okay? And look, this is what he says in verse 7. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted at my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So here in the New Testament, we see Jesus driving out the people who are leading falsely and bringing in the nations into his house of prayer. Jesus was quoting Isaiah 56. Let's see a few other places where this passage is important. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. 
we're going to spend the rest of our time in the New Testament. So let's go to Mark chapter 7. It's page 842 in the Pew Bible. Actually, it's going to be 843. And let's go to verse 24. Before we get there, do you remember the types of people? We had foreigners, right? Foreigners who didn't think they could be in. Do you remember what God called the teachers who were getting drunk off of the people's money? Remember what he called them? Dogs. Keep that in mind. Mark 7, 24. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is a place outside of Israel. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet, Jesus. And everywhere, he healed people. He raised people from the dead already. and He couldn't be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. We're told that the woman was begging and begging outside the door that she pestered the disciples so much, they finally came in and said, Jesus, please hear this woman. And Jesus said, no. And finally, one of the disciples apparently left the door cracked, and she just burst in and ran and fell at the feet of Jesus. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He's saying, these Jewish rulers have called you dogs. And it wouldn't be right. And listen to her faith. She answered him, yes, Lord. But even the little pet dogs, even the little puppies under the table eat the children's food. It would be such a little thing for you. Just a crumb, just like sweeping off the table you to heal my daughter. Now, was Jesus putting this woman through agony? Is he overly, is he being harsh here? No, no. What he's doing, he already knew what he was going to do with the daughter. He's putting her faith on display. He's, he's giving her a platform to show everybody what faith looks like. And this woman, who according to Isaiah 56, had some biblical reason to be discouraged comes and falls at the feet of the Lord, and now she has every reason to be encouraged. And it says, he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter, and she went home and found the child lying in bed. And the demon is gone. Let's turn in to Acts chapter 8, verse 27. Let's turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 27. This man, it's both categories. It's page 917 of the Pew Bible. This man fits both categories. He is both a foreigner and a eunuch. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. 
So do you remember what I told you before, what eunuchs did? They served in a way that would not threaten the sexual integrity of either the harem or, in this case, it was a queen. And he was no sexual threat to her, and he was put in charge of her finances. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. What? As he was returning, seated in the chariot, he was reading. What was he reading? Isaiah. Does anybody know what chapter? 53. The Spirit said to him, go over and join that chariot. So Philip ran over and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? He said, how can I? Unless someone teaches me, unless someone guides me. Philip must have said something like, I can teach you that. The eunuch says, up, up, get in here, teach me. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to slaughter, like a lamb before his shear is silent, so he opens his mouth, opens not his mouth rather. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the Lord? This is Isaiah 53. This is the Greek translation of it. And the eunuch said to Philip, Who's this talking about? Is this talking about himself or about someone else? Then Philip basically said, This is talking about Jesus. And he went on to show him from the entire Old Testament, how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And the eunuch says, I believe that, and I want to be baptized. And the eunuch saw him no more, verse 39, and went on his way rejoicing. He was a eunuch. He should have scriptural reason to be discouraged. But lo and behold, he comes and he believes Isaiah 53. He believes Isaiah 53. Now he should plan for the blessing as instructed in Isaiah 54. And he should continue to listen to the word of God according to Isaiah 55. But I'm a foreigner in a eunuch. Ah, Isaiah 56. This man has a memorial has a name written down forever in the annals of God. Would history have remembered any of his children if he had not? But here, memorialized for all time, is Acts chapter 8. And there he is, isn't he? Did God remember his promise? Of course. Were there other eunuchs who got saved that aren't recorded in Scripture? Well, certainly but we'll read more about them when we get to heaven and meet them. Now, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who rejected Jesus, who said, we have Abraham as our father, and John the Baptist said, don't say that. If God wanted to raise up children of Abraham, he could do so from these rocks. They rejected the Lord and crucified him and beat him and put him on a cross and rejoiced he died and paid off the guards, bribed them to deny that he rose from the dead. Did they expect the ongoing blessing of the Lord simply because of who they were? 
Does anybody remember what happened in 87? The Roman government came into that city and raised it. Well, that's up for debate. <laughs> but the Roman government has destroyed that city. So much so, there's no temple today. It hasn't been. What I would say to you is, take a look at your life. Take a look at your life. And ask yourself, which of those two people do you find yourself? One who's living a life of hypocrisy and just sort of expecting God to keep blessing your life? That's a false hope and comfort. And I would be a bad physician to tell you that that would heal you when it might. God says, repent. Become on the inside who you are on the outside. And to those of you, which I think is most of you, if not all of you, we look backward and we see sinful people. And we say, woe is me. How can I ever be blessed with the Lord? How can I ever plan for God's blessing? How can I ever hope to make it? Remember the promises that God makes in Isaiah 56. Access to him forevermore. A memorial. A permanent name in the kingdom of God. What a blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Use it to prepare us for our worship this morning. Lord, I, I'd like to pray for the people in here who might be in that category who are living hypocritically and thinking that your past mercy will ensure future blessing. May they not confuse that. May they, in the quietness of their heart, turn to you in repentance and accept your forgiveness and begin to demonstrate the changed character of a person who's been graced by God. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.